The Midwest Crime Files is an unscripted true crimes podcast. In it, we discuss heinous crimes and how they are committed. Viewer discretion is advised. I'm your host, Gina. And I'm Chris. And we're here to tell you the stories of small towns and the heinous crimes that changed them forever. First thing in this episode, we want to give a big shout out to Podcorn. They are going to be sponsoring this episode. Uh, you'll hear more about it in the advertisement. Mid-roll. Yeah, the mid-roll that's coming up. So, And we also want to give a shout out to our newest patrons. We have Amy and Sarah Letty and Kat Smith. Thank you guys so much. Um... And if you guys want to be a patron and have access to exclusive episodes as well as extra entries into contests and coupon codes for the store, you can do so from our website, www.themidwestcrimefiles.com, and you can sponsor us for as little as $1 a month. Yeah, and just kind of put a note on that, uh, we're going to be announcing some stuff probably coming up next year. Um, we can't really talk about it right now, but... We're going to be using our podcast to fund a very special program. Yes. So, and uh, I, I think you guys will um, will really appreciate it. I know that it's something that um, is very near and dear to our it's, hearts. It's the, it's the reason we started doing podcasts, like a podcast with. like this. So, um, and so stay tuned for that. Yeah, we're working out the details and we can't quite do it because of legal reasons. We can't announce it right now because of legal reasons. But just be on the lookout for that coming up soon. So, Absolutely. Let's get on with today's story since we got all the freaking advertisement out of the way. Alright, so this week's story is called Stolen Freedom, the Murder of Charles Darby. Linda Darby was a mother of five children in 1970. Her husband, Charles Darby, was murdered. Can you imagine having five kids and then your spouse gets murdered? I can imagine having five kids, because that's well, what I got we now. have five kids, right. but I couldn't do it without you. Charles Darby was shot before the family home was set on fire in Hammond, Indiana. So, not only did they shoot him, but then they lit the house on fire. Well, I'm going to try to cover your, your tracks, you know. The crime shocked the rural community, but the murder is not even the most shocking part of this story. This is the story of a bizarre, bizarre prison escape and a stolen freedom Then the murder of Charles Darby. Charles and Linda Darby were married in the late 1960s. Linda had been married before and she had already had four children. Charles and Linda welcomed a son during their own short marriage. And when I say short marriage, they were married like I think less than two years before he died. Well, that's not too short. In 1969, when Linda was just 26 and Charles was 25, they started getting this like really weird and bizarre harassment. So a couple weird things that happened. Their fence was lit on fire. They had wires ripped out of their car. And then after they repaired the car, somebody stole it. The house they lived in was burnt down. Like, it, this, this is before the murder. Yeah. Like, so it burned down once already. Right. And so they picked up and they moved to Hammond, Indiana. 
and they thought maybe like whatever was going on would stop because they got up and they moved. Linda thought that maybe they were being targeted because her husband, Charles, was an aluminum siding installer, but he was not part of the local union. Well, back in that day, like, yeah, like the unions were big boys back then. I mean, a lot of the unions had like mob affiliations and everything else, so... You know, she kind of thought maybe that's why they were being targeted. So right. the hope was, let's move to Hammond and see if that fixes it. The move did really not a whole lot, though. The craziness continued. Charles grew really concerned because his wife, Linda, was spending a lot of money. And he went to her and he's, you know, and she said, well, I have to spend a lot of money because I'm getting cancer treatments and we don't have health insurance. Well, I mean, that would be a reason to spend money. Yeah, right. But after a couple of more months of giving her all this money, Charles found out that his wife did not have cancer. Well, you wouldn't be my wife anymore. <laughs> well, and I think Charles felt that sentiment. He was furious with Linda. And he actually took an ad out in the local newspaper where he like announced that he was not responsible for his wife's debts and he would only be responsible for his own debts. That's awesome. Could you imagine though? Like, oh my gosh. Being that pissed off at somebody? Well, and Linda was furious. She felt embarrassed. He had publicly humiliated her. Well, I, if you lie to me and tell me that, oh, it's going to cancer treatment and it's just going because you like spending money and you can't control yourself. Right. Like, there's a, that's the, the least, of, like, thing that you could possibly do is, you know, to, as an embarrassment. Like, I could divorce your ass. I could throw all your shit on the lawn. I could be like, oh, hey, you're not getting any of this shit since you spent all my money, you know, or spent all the money. Well, and I'm wondering if it was... Like, because usually any debt that happens when you're married is marital debt. So I wonder if by him putting out a public declaration that he was not responsible, if that would have held I, up in a divorce I trial. I still don't think that would hold up in a divorce trial. I, I would doubt it. But I just, I guess but, that was his intent is I'm going to declare publicly that she's responsible for her own mess. Here's the thing. Is the debt in her name or is it in something with both their names on it? You know, like, is it a credit card that's just her credit card? Well, I'm going to argue it's like a motherfucker that, nope, that's... That's her shit. Well, legally... I don't give a shit about legally. I'm going to argue. I'm just telling you. I don't give a shit. I don't give a shit about legally. Okay. But if you go to divorce court, all the debt... Would you quit hurting my... Well, stop. Let me finish my freaking sentence. (laughs) Or maybe you'll find out about divorce court. I'm kidding. I've been... Never mind. We're not going into that. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway... I don't know that his pe- public declaration really would have gotten him off the hook. No. Because normally it doesn't matter. It would not, I think. Um, on New Year's Eve of 1969, something really bizarre happens. Somebody called the local newspaper and reported that Charles and Linda Darby had died in a cra- car crash. So the newspaper prints their obituaries. I just want to know how, like, what obituaries? I'm sure whoever like I, made this call must have given them the information for an obituary. Right, because, I mean, obituaries are posted by the family, aren't they? Like, it's not Well, just, usually it comes from the funeral home and they send it out to the papers, but right. yeah. Like, yeah, But it's not sure. something that, a, like, a random person, like, I didn't think could just be like, yeah, they died. Here's here's what I want said about them. I thought it had to be, but this is the 70s, Yeah, too, I so. have no idea. But if that's, you know, so imagine opening up your newspaper and you find you and your wife's obituaries. 
I'd be like, well, we're debt free. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> so, you know, obviously they were not dead. They were very much alive. And so the newspaper, you know, printed a retraction, but it was only three months later that they had to run Charles Darby's obituary again. But this time it was not a hoax. So weird, right? Right. Lots of really crazy things happening. In the spring of 1970, Charles Darby was feeling ill. And so he decided to stay home while Linda took their five children to visit her family uh, about seven hours away. So in one source I read, it said they went into Kentucky. and another source, it said Virginia. So I'm not really sure. I mean, both of them are about the same. I mean, I mean maybe it was like the Kentucky and Virginia match up, don't they? Yeah. So I wonder if it was like right in that, like, 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 I don't know. But anyway, it was about seven hours away from Hammond, Indiana. On the day that Linda was to return to Hammond, she drove six and a half hours with her kids towards home. But she got tired of driving, so she decided to stop and get a motel. She was about 30 minutes from home. That sounds fishy as shit. Right? Like, I'm sorry. If I've already driven six six and and a half half hours, I'm going that extra... 20, 30, you know, I'm going the extra 30 minutes, but I'm going to make it there in 20 because I'm going to speed because I'm, I want to be, I mean, like, I'm not spending money on a hotel room when I'm that close to home. Right. That's like us going to Chicago and getting a hotel in freaking Fairview. Right. You know? Right. It's kind of weird. Um, the next morning when she arrived home, she learned that her house had burned down the night before and her husband Charles was dead. Dun, dun, dun. Charles Darby did not die from this mysterious fire. He was shot in with a shotgun in his abdomen. Damn. That's, so, like, I, not even quick to the head. No. The, once again, we, it depends on what kind of shot was in the shotgun. That could have been a really slow death. Right. The medical examiner determined the gunshot to be his cause of death and ruled the death a homicide. Linda Darby became an instant suspect. So why drive, like you said, six and a half hours of a seven-hour trip and stop a half an hour? From Nobody home? does that. It's weird. Unless it's like three o'clock in the morning and you're swerving off the side of the road, you know, like there, I would give people okay. I'd pull over, have some, you know, caffeine and take a little nip or nap or take something. Take a little walk around in circles because I'm sure the kids were probably sleeping right. in the car. You know, get myself woke up. But I don't see anybody stopping a half hour from their house. Right. Well, and the police thought that was pretty suspicious, too. And they decided they were going to search the motel that she was staying at and speak to her children. So Linda's daughter tells the police that her mother left the hotel for a little while that night. I wonder what mom went and did. She was unsure where her mother went, but claimed her mother swore her to secrecy and threatened her not to tell anyone that she had left. So, reportedly, Linda told her daughter, like, if you tell anybody, I'll never buy you anything again. Oh, wow. Yeah. Fuck. That's, that's, a, that's a secrecy thing. Right. The search of the motel produced a pretty valuable piece of evidence, too. They found a shotgun... That had been hidden behind the vending machine. Which, I mean, I know point is like a point and, you know, like that's the smoking gun you're looking for. But the problem with shotguns is you can't really get forensics off the bullets. You know, like you can't do bullet forensics like you would with like a 9mm or something like that. Yeah. Unless it was a rifle, like a, a, 
a slug or something like that. If it's mm-hmm. just shotgun, like the pellets, uh-huh. you're not getting any kind of forensics. Maybe the casing, like where the firing pit, like the firing pin, yeah, with it. But you're not getting anything really off that gun at all, except for maybe what the caliber, you know, how big, how what gauge the shotgun was that you're comparing the crime scene to. Well, and the forensics could not conclusively prove that that was the murder weapon. I keep talking before I start reading. I'm sorry. No, you're fine. <laughs> An expert said that it was consistent with the weapon that was used to kill Charles Darby. But like Chris said, there was nothing forensically tying that weapon specifically to the crime. Right. So next, the authorities spoke with a gas station attendants that were working the night that Charles Darby was murdered. They claimed that a woman who matched Linda's description came in the night of the murder and bought two cans worth of gasoline. They later would pick Linda out of a lineup as the customer who purchased the gasoline. So police now can connect her to the fire, too. Jesus Christ. Like, she just didn't cover her tracks at all if this is her. This next piece of evidence seems a little shaky to me, but it was part of the case. So... They said there were tire tracks at the Darby home that were found, and so police asked a local tire salesman to compare them to Linda Darby's tires. So, I don't know. Like, I found it weird. I just don't know that a tire salesman qualifies as a forensic specialist. Well, if I don't have a forensic specialist that specializes in tires, I'm talking to a person that sees tires all the time. I guess that's a good point, but... Like, I mean, no, I don't think he could be qual- like called in to be, like, an expert witness. But he was. He... I thought he... Okay. Isn't that a little weird? Yeah. So he found them to be consistent with Linda Darby's tires. But another thing that in all my research, I didn't see where this was challenged ever. But my other thing is, even if her vehicle tire tracks were there, she lived there. That's something that just popped in my head. It wouldn't have been that, like, bizarre or out of the question. Well, unless not, they could prove they were fresh. Right. And I don't know how, they, you know, unless it was, like, mud or something like that. And it was, like, still soft, you know. But something. still, I would, st- I would think that that would be very, very flimsy evidence to go. Right. I would think a, def- a good defense attorney would be able to combat that pretty quickly. The medical examiner then told police that they found something else when they ran toxicology on Charles Darby. Charles Darby had large concentrations of arsenic in his blood. He had been being poisoned over the last several months, but the poison did not cause his death. It did, however, explain why he was too sick to go with Linda and the kids. So she had been microdosing him arsenic for months. Right. And realizing that, shit, it's not killing him. I'm just going to go ahead and I'm going to start blasting. Set up my alibi. Shoot him with a shotgun. Light everything on fire. Oh, my God. Like, she she wanted him dead, apparently. Like, damn. Yeah. So, the theory that the prosecution went on was that Linda Darby was a chronic spender and she was upset because her husband would no longer provide her with unlimited amounts of money. They believe that she was likely the person behind all this odd harassment in the past year. The fence burning down, the car, the obituaries on New Year's Eve. They felt like that probably all came from her. And that on the night of the murder, 
she had, after trying for several months to poison him with arsenic, decided to set up her alibi, go out of town to visit family, stop a half an hour from home to set up an alibi at a hotel, where she left that night, went to the house, shot her husband in the abdomen, lit the house on fire, and went back to the hotel and stashed the gun behind the vending machine and threatened her daughter to secrecy. Yeah, that's a big, like, I know that that whole saying, you know, there is no hate more than a woman scorned, but damn. Right? I guess, don't piss off, like, I guess his little thing of being embarrassed took it, like, she took it to the fucking extreme. Yeah, she was pretty mad. Linda Darby was charged with first degree murder, and police were planning to arrest her at Charles' funeral. But oddly enough, Linda never showed up to her husband's funeral. Okay, so I don't know if she knew she was a suspect or not, but I'm like, you're making yourself look worse, lady. You didn't even show up to his funeral. Right. So she was arrested the next day in Kentucky where she was staying with her family. While awaiting trial, this is interesting. Linda was let out on bond and went on a vacation with her family. I just don't... (laughs) I I didn't think you were allowed to leave the state. No. Like, and I don't get why they would not consider her a flight risk. I don't know. You know, just because since, I don't, since she had family out of state, she had obviously had no intentions of wanting to stay around there. Right. You know, like, whatever. She couldn't even stay long enough to go to his funeral. Right. Linda went on trial um, in September of 1970. The state presented the evidence in this case, including the salesman opinion that the tire tracks belonged to Linda, which, again, I I just think that's ridiculous. Any good defense attorney should have been able to get that, if not thrown out because he's not an expert, at the very least could have should have been able to throw stones through that window. Right. Linda's own child testified against her, insisting that her mother left the hotel that night and threatened her not to tell. The shotgun found at the hotel was presented with an expert witness stating that it was consistent to the murder weapon. Again, could not be 100% forensically identified as the weapon. The gas station attendants, though, did not testify. They were not allowed to because... Police tainted the identification by showing them a picture of Linda before the lineup. That's shitty. Yeah. I mean, that's just... Sloppy. Well, it's probably just somebody saying, oh, fuck. You know? Yeah. As soon as they're like... As soon as they figured it out, they're like, ah, god damn it. Well... Yeah. So that part of the evidence wasn't even allowed in the trial. Linda's defense had planned to call several character witnesses, but instead they decided to rest their case without calling a single witness. Damn. Right. And I will let you read the quote from her attorney. Quote, the evidence fell short of putting Miss Darby and Hammond on March 3rd. End quote. The defense basically said that the prosecution, it's their responsibility to provide proof beyond a reasonable doubt, and they didn't feel like they did that, so they didn't feel like they needed to put on a defense because they thought the case was so crappy, there was no way she was going to get convicted. That's that's just all, I mean, it's it's basically the defense being like, ha ha, fuck you, let's see, like, prove it. Yeah. Like, that's that's all that is. It's, you're not... That's an awesome strategy, though. Like, yep, prove it. Right. 
that here's my client. Prove she was there. Jesus Christ. This week's episode is brought to you by Podcorn. As a new podcast, one thing Chris and I struggled with was monetization. As a smaller and new podcast, we weren't really sure how to find those sponsorship opportunities. And that's when a fellow podcaster told us about Podcorn. Podcorn is a marketplace connecting podcasters to amazing podcast sponsorship opportunities. Once we started with Podcorn, we were able to discover all kinds of opportunities that fit our needs both creatively and financially. Podcasters of all sizes can browse and choose opportunities right on the platform, set their own rates, and collaborate with brands directly. It was super easy to get started with Podcorn. We created our profile, and within minutes, we were able to see sponsorship opportunities. And what we really love about it is we maintain all of that creative control over our podcast. It's still our podcast. Not only do we choose if and when to place an ad, Podcorn gives us full creative control and transparency in all transactions. We can't thank Podcorn enough for helping us to grow the Midwest Crime Files, and an extra special thank you to Podcorn for sponsoring this episode. If you have any questions, would like any information, or want to sign up for Podcorn, click in the link in the show description. So, surprise, surprise, Linda Darby was found guilty of first-degree murder after a very short deliberation, and she was sentenced to life in prison. Go figure. It's Indiana, though, so but they still have the death penalty, so... She was not eligible for parole for at least 15 years, which meant she would have been eligible in 1985 for parole. She filed an appeal in August of 1971, and it was quickly denied. However, the judge did grant a motion that would allow her to be appointed a lawyer to assist her in her appeals process, and they expected to see another appeal come through, but none were ever filed. You want to know why? I'm guessing why. On March 13th, 1972, two years after the murder and a year and a half after her conviction, Linda Darby escaped from the Indiana Women's Prison. Of course she did. She was returning to her unit from the recreational area of the prison and she climbed a 10-foot barbed wire fence and fled. Her absence was discovered that evening when they did their prison count. Linda Darby literally stole her freedom. Jesus. Most felons who who escape prison are usually caught pretty quick. Right. And sent back. Um, And prison officials thought this would be the same thing. They, They told Charles Darby's family that Linda would be back within a few days. You know, that they didn't think she'd get very far. But much to the contrary, Linda proved pretty hard to find. After her escape, there were a few sightings of her, and she made no contact, zero, with her five children. I mean, well, you would I, think... Well, I mean, if she wants to be gone, she's... Why would I, you know... I don't know. If, if you're going to escape prison and you have five young kids, my reason for wanting to get out would be to get to my kids. Right. She made, Obviously, that wasn't her motive then. No. And she made no attempt to find them, to talk to them, anything. Her whereabouts remained a mystery for a a very long time. In fact, Linda Darby was a fugitive for over 
35 years. No. Okay, I don't know how the hell it took him that long to find her, but... 35 years. Is that not insane? Yeah. I mean, she would have been eligible for parole in 1985. So, she'd have probably been out of prison by now. Yeah. In 2007, the state of Indiana formed a fugitive apprehension unit to look for escapees from Indiana prisons. One of the first cases they looked into was Linda Darby's. So, first of all, <laughs> maximum security prison and you have to have a fugitive apprehension unit, that's kind of scary. Yeah. Like, you have to develop your own unit to find these people that escape. Exactly how many people have Indiana let <laughs> let run, you know? Right, where they needed a whole task force to find them. So, this Linda at the time was 27 years old when she escaped. And they just couldn't figure out how she escaped from a maximum security prison and just disappeared. They recruited the help of the Indiana Intelligence Fusion Center whose primary responsibility is to coordinate anti-terrorism efforts, and they asked them to get involved in the investigation. There really wasn't a whole lot to go on. They didn't really have any leads, um, but they had Linda's date of birth and her social security number. So they ran her known data along with some slight variants, you know, changing a number here, number there, to see if they could find anything. And they did, pretty quickly. They discovered a person living in Tennessee with very similar birthday and social security number. Hmm. Police drove to Pulaski, Tennessee, and they talked to the police department locally. And when they told them that they believed a local resident, Linda McElroy, was possibly an escaped convict. And that police department was like, no, there's no way. This is a sweet little old lady, grandma, She's lived here for three decades. She's never been in trouble. Like, this is not, this is not who you're looking for. Right. Um, it's just not. And that's, that's what they told him. They're like, there's no way. But they said, you know, 64-year-old Linda, I, I said McElroy, but I think it's McElroy. Um, she had been living in Pulaski with her husband, like I said, for 35 years. She was a mother of two, a grandmother of eight. She worked as a house cleaner in local people's homes, and, you know, she just had this, like, clean, squeaky life. Yeah. And they thought, for sure, like, the Indiana authorities are wrong. They're about to, you know, make a really bad mistake, but they decided they would go over and speak to Linda. They showed her the picture of Linda Darby, and they asked the geriatric woman who, if she knew who this young 27-year-old woman was, and she said, yeah. That's me. Linda, <laughs> Linda Darby's got some balls on her. I mean. Right? I mean, holy crap. She, I mean, she said, quote, I could sit here and lie all day to you. Fingerprints don't lie. End quote. So she's basically like, yeah. Like, about time you fuckers got me. Yeah. She, like, and I'm I mean, not going to lie. She didn't try to lie about it. She didn't no. try to hide it. She's like, yep, that's me. I did it. She explained in interviews that on the day she escaped, she had climbed that fence and she said she was all bloody from the barbed wire. Well, yeah. Um, and she was just like a freaking hot mess. And she said she did it because she was wrongly convicted and she didn't want to spend the rest of her life in prison. She said that when she was on the run, she met Willie McElroy pretty quickly 
And because she was all bloodied up and stuff from the fence, he asked her if she had been, like, beat up by a boyfriend or something. And she decided to go with it and said she was escaping a violent domestic relationship. She said she never told Willie about her past throughout their 35 years that they lived together. And really what she says in interviews is that she didn't want to get him involved. Because if he was involved, then he was now complicit in her escape. Yeah. They were not legally married, however, but she did change her name to Linda McElroy. She changed one digit of her social security number and she took cash jobs like cleaning houses. And that's how she stayed under the radar. I just think it's funny that you can change one number of your social and it's totally, like, you're a totally different person. Right. And so, like, nobody knew. Linda and Willie had two children of their own. Linda said in interviews that she prayed constantly while she was a fugitive that she would not be captured before her kids were grown because she didn't want her kids to grow up without her. Now, there's only one thing I have to say about that. What about the first five kids? Right. Like, you weren't too terribly concerned that they were growing up without you. Right. I mean, she could have been out of prison when her son was, like, 18, 19, probably. Right. Because she had an option for parole in 85. Um, she even volunteered at her children's, grandchildren's school. So, could you imagine, like, this little old grandma that helps you out with your kindergarten art class and she's an escaped murderer? Right. Jesus Christ. Like, what the hell? Uh, Linda was an escapee for a total of 35 years and seven months. That's a long freaking time. Yeah. After her capture, Linda says she told her common-law husband and her children the truth about her past. She said that they support her and they believe in her innocence. And in interviews, she says basically like, you know, they know that I could never have done that because they know what kind of person I am. So they're going to back me. Well, of course. Like, this is that whole, you got a chance to start over. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And you got to tell the narrative how you wanted it to be told. Right. Like, none of these people knew you. Nobody, you know. And, of course, the people only see what they see. They didn't see everything else. Right. And there's a lot of people from Pulaski, Tennessee, that believe in her innocence. Because, basically, the notion is, I don't think she could have killed anyone because for 35 years, she's not gotten into any trouble at all. And some people have even stated that they feel like even if she was guilty, they should let her be free now because she's proven that she can be a productive member of society for over 35 years. And that's bullshit because just because you could be a productive member of society, good. You could have been that same productive member of society, but you had like you have to be punished for the crime that you were convicted for. Right. Whether you think you're innocent or not. A jury of your peers convicted you of murder in the first degree, and you escaped. So, after, what, a year and a half, two years? Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, that's a slap... Linda Darby was like, fuck this shit on it. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and I just don't think people would... No, it's not right. It's not right at all. I understand what they're saying, like, she's not a danger to society, at least they don't think, but... I mean... To me, she kind of is, because if you can go 35 years and not tell such an important 
thing about yourself. You know, her her two children that she raised don't know that she has. They have five other siblings. Right. I mean, she might have been sweet and nice, and she may not have killed anyone in thirty five years, but. She's proven over and over and over again that she's a pathological liar and apparently a pretty damn good one. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't feel necessarily the same way other people do about her as far as, you know, feeling like she's such a good person. Because in my mind, if you were such a good person, you wouldn't have been able to keep that secret. And I understand that she didn't want to involve her family in it, but... I don't know. I don't know if I could keep that a secret. Right. The family of Charles Darby obviously strongly disagrees with people that think that Linda should be set free. Which they should. They're relieved that Linda Darby is back in prison. And um, I'm going to read you a quote from Alice Robinette, Charles' sister. She said, quote, we're Christians. We don't believe in revenge, but I was glad they caught her. I just hope they don't let her go again. End quote. Right. Well, she's like in her 60s now, so I don't think she's going anywhere. No. And then her Charles's niece said, quote, she needs to pay for her crime. She got to live. He didn't. End quote. Absolutely. And that's the biggest thing is here. Like, she got to live a full life with kids and a family. Yep. She stole she, that freedom. She, she got to have grandkids. She got mm-hmm. to see, you know, be old and gray and loving with these kids got to do all these things. Charles got none of that. Right. I mean, he was 25. That's right. like a baby. And, it's not, and he didn't even get justice for it. No. You know? Yeah. He got. She can, got to live a majority of her life. I mean, if everybody could just put off their conviction and serve their sentence when they're done raising their families. Right. What the hell? And, they, you know, and that's the thing. Like, she's like, yeah, you can take me in now. Because everything's, like, everything good in her life is gone, is past. Right. You know? Linda Darby finally filed another appeal in 2011, which was dismissed due to being more than 40 years after a timely filing date for an appeal. Yeah, I mean, if she would have just... Served her fucking time. Right. She, she probably, probably would have been, been out. Rolled, like... Years ago. Yeah, 35 years ago. Um... She obviously filed another appeal to appeal the dismissal of her appeal. But that, but that dismissal was appealed. Yes. And basically what the judge said is that she forfeited the appeal process when she absconded for 35 years. Damn right. You want to break out of prison and live your life for 35 years and you don't get no appeal. Right. Linda Darby is now 78 years old and she's likely going to die in the Indiana women's prison. Um... I'm going to let Chris read a quote from Linda Darby. Um, Linda said, quote, I'm not a murderer. I just don't know how they ever convicted me of murder. End quote. I don't know because they have eyewitnesses that saw you buying gas. I don't know because you freaking tried to poison your husband with art. Like, because your own child your own testified child te- against you. Like, damn. Like, I don't know, Linda. <laughs> listen, Linda. Listen. Listen. <laughs> listen, Linda. <laughs> Listen, Linda. So, what I really want to know is if her original five children have been to see her since she's been recaptured. I hope they haven't. I I don't think they have anything to do with her, but that's curious to me. Um, Would you? No. No. And I don't even know what happened to them. Like, 
Charles Darby's son, the youngest, I would assume was maybe raised by family members, but I wonder if her older four children were raised by Charles Darby's family or if they were put into foster care or right. if her first ex-husband. I have no freaking clue. Right. Um, it's interesting, though. I mean, if you think about it, like, how would you feel if that was your mother? That your mother killed your stepfather and then was free for 35 years and then you find out and then they caught her and you find out she went and had kids and grandkids and lived this happy little life right interesting huh right um yeah i don't know i just don't know how i would feel about that but i mean her original case had some questionable evidence and obviously her defense team didn't do anything they literally rested their case so she actually probably would have had a pretty damn good chance at an appeal, mm-hmm. but she chose instead just to steal her freedom. Yeah. Charles Darby was 25 years old and the father of an infant son when he was viciously murdered. He was a Navy veteran and served upon the USS Enterprise during the Vietnam era. I'm sorry, I'm chuckling because every time I see the USS Enterprise, I just want to go, they boldly went where no one has gone before. <laughs> you're a mess. I'm a I'm a Trekkie. Like you're a mess. And that's just I know it's I, I it's an actual naval ship, guys, but this just in my head. And yes, it is sad that you know that he served his country to get murdered by his wife. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Linda's story is really, really interesting and everything that happened after her conviction and yeah. her escape. Like, I want to bring the focus back to Charles because Charles Darby was the real victim in this right. case. Like you said, he was 25 fucking years old when he was murdered. Right. You know, and that's, like, that's baby. And if she didn't do it... Well, well, we'll, we will never know now because she's been tried and convicted for it. Right. We can't appeal it. Like, like you said, if she would have just done the fucking appeal process the right way... I'm sure that... I think they would have overturned that on appeal because there was definitely some sketchy shit with her yeah. trial and her defense attorney she would have had a, like, job. She would have had a fresh trial. Yeah. Like, because like you said, like, granted, I give the defense attorney props for just being like, ha ha, we rest. Yeah. They <laughs> didn't do their job. Are you, are you, are you, I don't you, need to talk. We rest. You're not calling a witness. We rest. You're not presenting evidence. We rest. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm, there's somebody somewhere... A judge, or even if they would have taken it to like state supreme or the you know yeah federal supreme court, she somebody would have gotten would have, ineffective assistance of counsel for sure. Yeah, like this is by far the worst defense right. defense of a murder that I've ever seen. But like we go back and forth on like the how much money they spend on these defense trials. She got nothing. Right. Like I'm sorry, everybody has your. Innocent until proven guilty, and everybody has a right to a fair trial. That was not a fair trial. No, I agree. I think granted, she I, would have easily gotten the appeal process had she not escaped. Granted, I think she fucking did it. You know? but Seems well, the point that way. You know, from the evidence that was presented by the prosecution, mm-hmm. you know, that's... She needed somebody in her side to sway. To be like, no. Right. like, But they didn't do anything. And that's... I, I think that is a big miscarriage of justice. Yeah. Do I think she's innocent? No. But I think that she got fucked. Yeah. But then but then she didn't get fucked but because if she you had lived been you, patient 
she could have probably turned that over on appeal. And then I think that makes me think, too, like, you know, all these people that knew her during the time she was a fugitive and are like, I know her, she's a good person. It's like, well, but wait a minute. You know, like I said... Think about her character here. She escaped from prison. She, like, I don't know. Like, I guess I go back and I'm like, she's kind of like a criminal genius. She's a manipulator. I mean, she's a damn good one. Right. I mean, but, and that's the thing. People are like, oh, she's great. Yeah, because she was good at telling people only what she wanted them to know. Right. She was a very talented liar. She is right. a very talented liar. Right. And I, whether she's guilty or not, she screwed up any chance of having it looked at legally. Right. So, I mean, she probably will die in prison. What, she's 78 now? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, I don't think there's any chance of her getting out. I would really at, doubt at that. All. I don't see it happening unless she would get like a clemency or something from I, a governor. I, well, but I can't see a governor doing that because of her escape. Right. Had she not escaped, she probably would have been paroled already well, or maybe uh, even given clemency. Okay, so let's add this up. So she was, what, 66 when she got caught? She got caught in 2007. 2007. So she had two years in Yeah. plus 14. Yeah. So she served a total of 16 years. Right. You would have been on parole. Yeah. Like, or you would have been up for a parole hearing. Yeah, her first parole hearing would have been in 1985. Like, you would have had this parole hearing already and most likely been out back in the day. And you yeah. could have started fresh. Still would have had plenty of time to have a family. Right. I mean, and maybe then, your other children would have actually had something to do like, with it. And you. then you could have went to a bumfuck Egypt and been like, no, I'm Linda so-and-so. And, right. And you know, done it legally. So, yeah. Interesting case, though, isn't it? It's a very, very interesting case. Um, If you want more information on this case, including a list of references, which also includes a YouTube link to a video, um, it's a documentary about women in prison that Linda Darby was a part of and is interviewed in. It's really cool. Um, Just go to our website, www.themidwestcrimefiles.com. And we want to give one last special thank you to Podcorn for sponsoring this week's episode. Yeah. (sighs) It was a good one. It was a very good one. We will Uh, see you guys next week. Yep. Bye, Bye, guys.